The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. This is Full Change with Tom Laidlaw. Good morning, Mr. Laidlaw. Good morning, Tom. How are you? I'm very excited today. We have a, we have a great guest today. We have a scrappy forward, two-time All-Star, and former captain of the Winnipeg Jets. We have Morris Lukowicz on the show today. Captain of the Winnipeg Jets. How are you doing there, Morris? Good to see you. Really good today, Tom. Anytime I get a chance to talk with you, it's a good day. <laughs> there you go. There you go. We played together right at the when I first got traded to L.A., you were in L.A., correct? Yeah, you and I played together, I believe, for about a year and a half. That's right. That's right, too. And then they got that Gretzky guy coming in. So there wasn't room So there wasn't room for both you and Gretzky. They had to trade you. Is that what it was? No. The, you know, I just My NHL career ran out at that time. Oh, it's all right. Okay. Yeah, but it was, uh, yeah, it would have been nice to have played with Wayne Gretzky, been able to hang in there a little bit longer. Did you get to play with him? Yep. I had about, uh, I think, two years with Wayne. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's just, uh, he, yeah, as you know, he's such a special guy, right? It's not just the hockey on ice stuff. It's the way he handles himself and the game and everything. So, yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. It's a good way to end my career. You know, it started off in New York. We had Phyllis Mazzito and then to go to L.A. and have Gretz there. But the one good thing was when I, get, I got to L.A., I didn't have to play against you anymore. You were a pain in the ass to play against, I'll tell you that. Well, your whole Ranger defense was <laughs> I did not look forward to playing against the Rangers. There was, it started off with, like, you guys had a huge defense. You had yeah. Bubba Beck. Yeah. Who just was hit crushing checks. He actually hit me one time in New York along the side. And somehow there wasn't a glass along the side. Oh, with probably the penalty box was probably, yeah. Kind of in that area. Yeah. And he actually threw me over the boards. And I I almost, my skates almost hit a reporter in the head. Oh, is that right? Like a, like a camera guy. And I ended up, I stood up on concrete, asked him if he was okay. Yeah. And he, and he actually was a little bit, had this scared look on his face sure. and he uh he said yeah he was okay and i said okay well I'm, i've got to get back out there and and i jumped over the boards and i had trouble skating because i lost uh some edges by because when he threw me over like i landed yeah like right on this concrete like i couldn't believe there wasn't any glass yeah. but then after that then it went to uh greshner yep who uh, i played against in the west as a junior sure and gresh uh ron was probably the the worst hacker whacker I ever yeah. played. Yep. Oh my gosh. Wow, wait, more than Tom? Oh, he, <laughs> I was a cross checker. Yeah. Tom was a cross checker, but Gresh was a, uh, he was a slasher. Oh my right. gosh. In junior, I got slashed by him a couple of times right. across the arms and in pro. Right. It was not nice. Yeah. And we had big Willie Huber for a while. That was another big man. Yeah, but Willie was nice. He was yeah. a game guy. But then after that, it went to, Dave, I believe, Dave Maloney. Yep. Yeah, he played hard. Yeah. Oh. And Dave was a guy who hit, like, he hit fair, but he hit hard. And then there was you. If you actually look up your name in the in the uh, hockey DB, it has cross-check. <laughs> <laughs> well, Carol Vadnay taught me a lot of stuff. He used oh, to say, you, they go to the front and they let you do anything you want to them. Yeah. And then Carol, he was a terrible slap. Oh, yeah. He was nasty. He was a nasty man out there. Yeah, yeah well, he was actually even, he, he was worse than Greshner. Yeah. But, oh, yeah. So I did not look forward to playing against you guys. It was yeah. it was always a and the and the thing is New York had crappy ice. Yeah. Oh yeah. I love so, that. So yeah. it was difficult to handle the puck, and so it was. Di- so we had you guys running at us, the puck bouncing all over the place. It was just a it was a tough place to play. Tom, Tom Morris let me know that he thinks about you almost every day, and, and there's a reason why. What? Not not why you think, Tom. No, why is that? You know what happened? There was one time. Tom, that there was a point shot taken, and I, I was in front of the net. Uh, you had just cross-checked me, so there was a little bit of distance between us. The puck 
uh, hit the goalie and it went up in the air and it ended up that uh, I was waiting. So I was waiting for it to come down so I could shoot it in. Right. It ended up, you took a bit of a baseball swing at it in order to bat it out of the, out of the front of the net. Yeah. And as you were swinging at it, you ended up clipping me right here with your stick. And yet it ended up, I got 10 stitches. That's not but the thing is you just whacked me. And luckily, I mean, I just got the tip of your stick. Right. Otherwise I probably would have lost my teeth, even though I wore a mouth, mouth guard. But yeah, so I got sliced, but you actually, uh, you took a moment and, uh, and asked me if I was okay. Oh, okay. Wow. What a classic guy. Yeah. And, uh, and, 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 you know, I took my glove off and there was lots of blood coming out. So I just skated off the ice, but no, you were, you were good enough to ask me if I was okay. Cause I was afraid if you, uh, if I didn't ask you, you run me later on and like spear me in the face or something too. Oh, you're would. nasty out there. Yes, you would. You were nasty. I would have deserved it too. So where did you grow up then? Where was home? You know what? I grew up in the middle of, uh, what I call nowhere Saskatchewan. It was North of Saskatoon, east of North Battleford, a little place called Spears, Saskatchewan, uh, about 150 people. Like we didn't have an indoor hockey rink. The only, the only indoor rink we had was the curling rink. And it ended up that my brother, Mike and Ed became very good curlers. And eventually my brother, Ed became uh, he was the world curling champion in 1986. Wow. I didn't know that. That's yeah. Cool. And then eventually he actually coached, uh, the, uh, American Olympic program for about nine years. Wow. And, uh, so he helped actually the, the women's team win the world championships a few times and and eventually the men's team, which won the gold, right. uh, in, uh, I believe Japan. And then uh, he had worked with them a lot also. So, uh, yeah, he, uh, and actually I learned to be sure I'm a pretty good curler also, Very but, cool. some, but the fact that I got to the NHL is when I talk with kids nowadays, I tell them that, uh, I'm living proof that miracles can happen and dreams can come true because the fact that I was able to get, get to the NHL from like we didn't, where we didn't have an indoor hockey rink is, is just really as proof that that can happen. Yeah, definitely. So, so you had a rink, but it's outdoor rink, correct? It was an outdoor rink. Yeah. And uh, actually from seven o'clock to nine o'clock at night was public skating. And then from nine o'clock to 10 o'clock was uh sh- shinny. Oh. And we had just this little building that had a, uh, uh, a log writing. Uh, oh. uh, yeah. I mean, it was so, yeah. So it was like just a little shock to change in. Sure. And, uh, and you know what, actually at the time I used to put on my skates at home, my brother Len and I, and in this little town, the ice were so street, uh, or the, the, the streets were so icy sure. that I, we would actually, it was about a three block skate to the rink. Uh, that's cool. Skate to the rink and yeah. then we'd skate and play and whatever. And then, and then skate back home and, uh, right. take, uh, yeah, take uh, the skates off at home. That's funny. What'd your father do for work? My dad was a farmer. <clears throat> he was a hardworking farmer. He had one section of land. So we grew up uh, uh, helping out on the farm. We didn't have any animals because we lived in we lived in the little village of Spears. I uh, had lots of uh, cousins who had lots of horses and cows and pigs and stuff like that. But, uh, yeah, so he worked hard and we were out there. We would help uh, shovel grain and we would help. Uh, we actually, part of the way we made a living was that uh, – we planted huge gardens and my mom. Yeah. And so we would, uh, I spent a lot of time as a young guy picking potatoes or picking raspberries or picking strawberries or a lot of picking. And it was extremely tough work for first of all, to dig them and then to pick them all up. And there was one day that we went to do this and I was not really looking forward to it because it would be an extremely tough day. But my dad took the tractor and he ended up uh, attaching a piece of equipment to it that's actually called a, a rod weeder. And it's used for digging up weeds. Oh, okay. And uh, it ended up that he uh, just ended up driving this tractor through this huge uh, potato patch. He had to go up and back about uh, three times. Sure. But this rod weeder actually pulled up all of the, uh, the oh. plants and all the potatoes. And so instead of having to dig... All we had to do was go and just pick them up. Oh, cool. Digging was a huge problem. I mean, right. So he just, in, he just invented that on his own. Just thought of it. He invented it on his, on his own. And I can remember when he did that and we stood there afterwards and I was standing beside my dad and, and I've had some amazing moments with my dad. Uh, and I remember he stood there looking at this and he thought, 
that this is good. And I was thrilled <laughs> because, <laughs> because the workload went from about 10 hours right. down to about five. Uh, yeah. It's amazing, right? You look back, and I've certainly done this in my life where I, I grew up on the farm as well, uh, you know, right outside of Toronto, so probably not as big a farm as yours. But you didn't realize at the time when you're a young guy that uh, what the farmers and your father, my father, my grandfather, what they did for us, uh, showing us that work ethic, right? Like there was nobody writing in newspaper articles about them. They were going out there every day and doing the work. And if they didn't do it, we didn't we didn't eat, right? There's no food. So we didn't realize. I, I realize now, and I'm sure you do too, you look back and realize, wow, I wouldn't have done the things in my life I've done if it had not been for my father and his work ethic. Yeah. But, and plus a benefit to is you guys just by work doing this type of work as kids, you become strong, like really strong. Yeah, definitely. Well, actually, we did learn how to uh, put in a lot of long hours. You know, one of the little story about uh, my dad was that uh, on the on the one side of our house, because we played all sorts of sports. There was hockey. We played uh, golf, tennis, um, baseball, and uh, it ended up on uh, the one side of our house. Uh, we had sort of a. Uh, a stucco on the one side, but then at the bottom of it was a uh, about five feet off the ground. For whatever reason, the stucco stopped, and then there was cement. And what I used to do for hours is I would take and one I would shoot hockey pucks against that spot. Uh, I would dug a, dug out a piece of board and put it down, and I would just shoot for oh. long periods of time. But also in the summertime, I would throw a baseball or a golf ball against that cement block because it would come off, especially a golf ball would come flying off that, and I would practice my catching. And we used to play all sorts of little baseball games out there, my brother Leonard and I, where we'd had different competitions. But the thing is, the stucco got really damaged. <clears throat> so my dad, one time, he came home, and and uh, he, he asked if he asked my brother Leonard and I if we could come outside and and because uh, he wanted to show us something. So we went around, and he said, what's going on here? Like, look at all this stucco. It's completely damaged. He said, what's, what's happening? And then, and I said, well, you know what, dad, we just, uh, we play baseball. Like we throw baseball or golf ball against there and, and I shoot pucks against there and, and, uh, you know, I guess it got damaged. And then I remember he looked at it for a couple, like about a minute. Then he went, oh, okay. Instead of him getting mad at us about this, I think he took a look and thought, wow. And, and like we would do this for hours. All right. You're working at something, right? Yeah. Yeah. Morris, when you signed the contract, did you fix his house? Um, no, but one of the keys in my actually becoming an NHLer is we left Spears. When I was uh, 12 years old, my mom moved us all to Saskatoon. And where a good thing about playing in the country was that I was a pretty good hockey player right from the get go. And so what happened was I would play in the one division plus the next division. And I actually would play a little bit in the next division. Mm -hmm. And so it ended up that I, instead of getting like 20 games a year, I would get 60 plus mm -hmm. and I would go to tournaments. So I got way more ice time than some of the other boys. What? But what happened was I would have never got seen. And by getting to Saskatoon, it ended up that uh, when I was 12, I was lucky and I fell into an all-star at that time, they were just taking the city and dividing it up into quadrants and having the best players from each quadrant play on an all-star team. Oh, and cool. I, fell, I fell in with some guys, a core group of about seven guys that we played five years together and we managed to win three provincial championships, which is tough to do. It's oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. There was a lot of bloodshed beating PA, beating Regina. Beating, sure. and, uh, but it ended up with that core group uh, I eventually played with a, a triple A midget team called the Blazers, actually, sure. which Kim Claxon also wow. played with. If you remember Claxon. Sure. Yep. And uh, it ended up that our triple A Blazers team went to play in a tournament in Medicine Hat when I was 17 or no, when I was 16. And it was actually the uh, Christmas of 1972. And it ended up, we went, we played teams against Calgary, Edmonton, BC. Then we played four games. And we waxed everybody. Wow. Like here it was triple A midget. And yet the closest game we had was eight to one. Wow. It ended up at the end of the tournament. I was given uh, MVP of the tournament, which I was a little bit surprised that I actually got because we had so many guys that played good. But it ended up that the Medicine Hat Tigers, at that time, there was a protection list. There wasn't a draft. Mm -hmm. So it ended up that they protected five of us. 
Oh. And uh, a guy by the name of Neil Park, Kirk Walters, Cam Chapman, Ron Season, who was a dope smoking goaltender, <laughs> and myself. And uh, uh, goalies. Yeah, so that tournament changed my life. And then wow. what happened was the tournament was put on by the Medicine Hat Hockey Hounds, which was sort of like the, the booster club. But we got put on that protection list. So when we went back to um, Saskatoon, I wanted to be a Saskatoon Blade. I loved the Saskatoon Blade. Sure. There was Dave Lewis there who oh yeah, played with the Islanders. Kings, yeah. Uh, Oris Kinderchuk, uh, Jerry Pinder, Tom Pinder. Like, there was these guys that I just kind of idolized. I wanted to be a Saskatoon Blade. Sure. And when I found out that I was on the Medicine Hat list, I actually sent them a letter and told them I didn't want to be. And wow. if, if they would release me and I didn't get any answer back, right. but it ended up, so we came September, 1973 and literally I, I've got it tagged back to, it was September 30. I got a call from Neil Park. He was one of the other protected players. And like, I was already in high school in uh, grade 12 in Saskatoon. And Neil said, Hey, if we want to try out for junior hockey this year, uh, we've got to go to medicine hat. The tryout is on Saturday. I said, you're kidding. That medicine and what? And he, and he said, yeah. And I said, I want to be a Saskatoon Blade. And he said, well, but they've got our rights. So if we want to actually try out, we've got to go there. And so he said, well, you think about it. The car leaves tomorrow at four o'clock. And uh, and so he says, talk it over your mom and dad. So I talked over with my mom and dad, but it was really my brother, Ed, who was 10 years older than me. He was uh, my mentor growing up, uh, he taught me so many sports. He said, you know what, Morris, if you ever want to be an NHL player, it looks like this is the next step. Right. And I talk about that next step and it's such an important thing. And that next step, I'm at, I got into that car with, uh, Neil, Kirk Walters, uh, Ron Thiessen, the dope smoking goalie. And, uh, <laughs> uh, I, all I can remember about the tryout is that I was scared there were so many big guys. I was, I was 140 pounds. And, and what were you a 17 year old? You were 17 at that time. Yeah. And yeah. I just was, I was just skating as fast as I could and just seeing if I could, and it was rough as could be. And, yeah. But I, I, it was one thing I was okay with the rough stuff. And yeah. so and then we got to the, uh, that day one finished and there were the, the cuts up on the wall and I went and looked and uh, my name wasn't on there. But Neil's was and Kirk's was. Oh, the goalie and I got to day two, mm -hmm. and it ended up that that next morning, a, a very very hungover Neil Park and Kirk Walters because they got drunk after getting cut, and then they got into the car. And I remember the car went down the street and it hit a dead end where the railroad tracks were and it made a left turn. It was gone. And I remember I was standing there feeling very kind of alone. Sure. And, uh, I remember a thought went through my head is I better make this team because it's a long walk back to San. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, nice. definitely. Definitely. Did, it, did the goalie try to get you some uh, pot to calm him down there? No, but you know what? He, uh, he was a pretty good goaltender. He played a little bit and then they, they let him go. But, um, he, uh, he would have been better had he stayed away from the pot. Yeah. No kidding. Yeah. So how many years did you play in medicine at then? Played three years there. And some of the guys, like we got there right after Lanny McDonald and Tom Lysak. Oh. So Morris, you had a great uh, junior career, and especially your last year. And then you get drafted in two leagues. So at that point, what do you, how do you decide where you're going to go? And the two, two leagues were the NHL, obviously, and then WHA. Right. You know what, by the way, the one thing about junior, though, is like I got to play with a couple of incredible players. One who I just chatted with the other day was Don, Doc, Murder, Murder. Oh, oh good. We're going to have him on the show, hopefully, too, yeah. Yeah. Oh, Don, he was... Donnie actually still holds the record for the most goals ever by a rookie in the Western Hockey League, which was huh? 80. And then in that final year, he got 88 goals. I had 65. And our other centerman, Greg Carroll, who got drafted by, I believe, Washington Cabrera. Yep, yep, you're right. Yep. Yeah, uh, ended up with uh, 60. So I, huh. at that time, we were the highest scoring line ever in the history of the Western Hockey League. Wow. Wow. Yeah, but I mean, Donnie was just such an incredible Good. So well, you, so when you get drafted, you get drafted by the Winnipeg Jets. Were they the WHA at the time? No, I got drafted actually. So a quick little story about this Tom, because this, this is really magical. It's something that I coach young players on. Is that I've looked back to where my dream of someday being an NHLer and the why behind it. And uh, it's like Simon Sinek says, start with why. 
Yep. And uh, what happened is I remember as a young boy, I was about five years old, and we were back in Spears, and we were watching Hockey Night in Canada. And I was sitting on my dad's lap on his left side, on his heart side, and my brother Len was sitting over on the other side. And we were watching Hockey Night in Canada on Saturday night. Now, the thing is, at that time, Tom, we had black and white TV. Sure. Yeah. And I don't know why they call it black and white, because it's mostly gray. Yet, uh, <laughs> what happened is we didn't even get the full game. All we got was the second and third period. Oh, oh. And what would happen is that uh, Foster Hewitt would come on and he would actually explain what had happened in the first period. Oh, He would tell us what had gone on and they might interview some hockey player, but then we would get the second and third periods. Okay. But I can remember sitting on my dad's lap and I love my dad. And uh, he would be talking about some of these stars on the TV, like Gordie Howe, Bobby sure. Hull, Dave Keogh, Henri Richard. Yeah. And I'm convinced that what happened is I was sitting there, there was a, um, a thought that if I could be one of those guys on the TV, that it would really make my dad happy. Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, and, I'm, and I've looked back and I've thought about it, um, that many times when I was out on the ice doing uh, the extra 10% that I believe got me to the NHL. Sure. Yep. Instead of the hundred percent, I gave 110%. Like I pushed a net up and down the ice sure. at the end of practice to develop leg strength. I was, I was doing it for myself, but I was also doing it for my dad, which made me even strong. Mm-hmm. That's very cool. So who were the two teams you got drafted by then? So what happened was I got drafted by the Houston arrows in the WHA. Right. And I got drafted by the Pittsburgh penguins in the NHL. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah, but one little thing was when I was at the age of 10, like I reflected back on this is that and my brother Ed and I, we actually walked into the Midtown Plaza in Saskatoon. It was a mall. We were going into the store to buy a baseball glove. And all of a sudden, when we walked in there, like I had never met a professional hockey player before. And we walk sure. in and I looked and they're sitting at a table doodling away on a piece of paper. And he had on a blue blazer with a, a, a blue shirt open at the neck. Was Gordy Howe? Oh yeah, yeah. And he's I, he's from Saskatoon, right? Well, yeah, Gordy yeah. came back to Saskatoon and worked there during the summer. He actually oh, that's worked, right. yeah. he, he worked for a cement company. Actually, Gordy would haul cement bags two at a time underneath each arm, right from the truck to the uh, mixer. That's right. A lot of people don't realize that back in those days when Gordy Howe was playing, they didn't make enough money to just survive off that. They had to work during the summers, right? They did. Yeah, yeah. and he worked hard. Yeah. So. So anyways, he was sitting there and, and I looked over at Ed and I said, Ed, is that Gordy Howe? And Ed looked and he said, what do I think it is? And I, and then I started to panic. I said, well, what's he doing here? <laughs> and what are we going to do? Like, do we go say hi to him? And my brother Ed being an amazing mentor said, I don't know. What do you think? He gave me the choice, the decision. Right. And I remember I was standing there looking and I was starting to get nervous and everything. And when I talk about that next step, it's so important because so for a young player, that next step can be getting into a, uh, a car with a, a drunken driver or sure. towards drugs or towards alcohol. So it ended up that I kind of closed my eyes and I gave a thought about it. It was like a voice that said, just go for it. And I took that That's next step towards Gordy Howe. That's and then we went and we, and we were with Gordy for about 45 minutes. The thing is, he is that, forgot, it was the middle of July. It was hot. Nobody was in, in the store. He said, forgot to tell anybody he was there. And we got to be there with 45 minutes. So Corey, actually, I was on his left side, just like with my dad. And it ended up that he hardly talked with me. It ended up that he and Ed talked for 45 minutes about hockey, curling, baseball, golf, and fishing. And what happened was in the end, Gordy looked at me and he said, Morris, uh, he said, uh, would you like one of these cards? He had these little three by five cards. And I said, yeah, I'd love one, Mr. Howe. And he said, by the way, Morris, what do you love most about hockey? And I thought about it for a second. And I said, Gordy, I love to score goals. Oh. And uh, he laughed. And so then he started writing out the autograph. He would make two M-A-U-R. And I stopped him. I said, Gordy, uh, Mr. Howe, uh, my name is actually M-O-R-R-I-S, uh, Morris, not, uh, not Maurice. And he said, well, but you said you love to score goals. Maurice the Rocket Richard is such an oh. incredible scorer. Huh? So will you, are you okay if I sign it to Maurice? And I thought about it for a second, and I didn't really like the idea. But right. who was I to tell Gordy? Yeah, Howell? no kidding. I said, sure. So he actually made out the autograph to Maurice. Uh, lots lots of goals, Gordy. I took the picture home. I put it up on the wall. Beside, I cut out a picture of Bobby Hull pitching a bale of hay where he oh, looked yeah. like an incredible Hulk. I've seen that picture. Yeah, that's a good and, one. And I put that up there, and and 
at night when I would say my prayers, and I feel this was so important and a piece of my getting the angel, I'd say, Lord, please, someday, can I play with Gordy Howe? And while you're at it, will you throw him Bobby Hall? And so it ends up Gordy leaves, he retires, but then he eventually comes back to play. So I get drafted by Houston, Pittsburgh. In the end, I was on the phone with Ren Blair, my agent. I couldn't find him when it came to negotiating my contract. He was busy negotiating uh, Dottie Murdoch's and Great Carol's. Sure. I could not find my agent. So I ended up, my brother Ed and I actually negotiated my first contract. And it started off by Pittsburgh saying, this is what Ren Blair said, this is what we'll offer you. And we said, well, Mr. Blair, we'll call you right back. And, he, and I remember he went, what? And I said, we'll call you right back. Uh, we're just going to give the Houston Arrows a call. And it, he actually got somewhat perturbed. And he went, okay, well, call me back. So we called Bill Deneen in Houston. And uh, Bill's a famous uh, coach. He has five sons that played yeah, sure. pro hockey. And we'd say, Mr. Deneen, what are you offering? And... Uh, we went back and forth, and eventually the contracts, both of them said, hey, that's it. That's as high as we'll go. Right. And I remember my brother Ed and I, we looked at the contracts, and they were the same. The thing we didn't know is the teams had budgets. So first rounders got so much, second rounders got so much, and I kind of fit in there. Yeah. So it ended up that Ren Blair called me back, and he, I remember he said, so what's it going to be, boy? Like that song, there's a line out of uh, Paradise by a Dashboard, Lights by Meatloaf. So what's it going to be, boy? And I remember he says, are you going to, you're going to come and play in the NHL with the big boys? You're going to go to that other league. And I remember I looked over at Ed and I said, what do you think? And Ed being a fantastic mentor said, I don't know. So I was thinking NHL, WHA, Pittsburgh, Houston. I remember I closed my eyes and I was thinking about it. And there was like a voice that said, go play with Gordie Howe. Oh yeah. Was, yeah. So also what you said, Morris, what you're saying is that anyone can be an agent, right? Because <laughs> you know, no, I actually, we we learned very very quickly, and uh, and it ended up that uh, I fired my agent after that too. Well, no, good. Yeah, you didn't need them. Who needs them anyway? We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed, leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day. Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com match. Just go to Indeed.com match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. <laughs> I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate, how a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word, Broomgate. So you get to Houston, does Gordy Howe remember you? Uh, you know what, he remembers actually talking with Ed, but just want just to finish that. So I got back on the line with uh, Ren Blair, and I said, Mr. Blair, thanks for the offer to come and play in, in the NHL with you in Pittsburgh. But really, I just want to play with Gordie Howe. To which he said, well, you little shit. Oh, did he? Wow. Oh, you will never play a day in the NHL and hung up. Oh, wow. And I remember I looked over at Ed. I said, he hung up. And uh, so we got on the phone. And we called Bill Deneen. We said, Mr. Deneen, we just really, I, I really want to play with Gordie Howe. Which, I, you know what, Tom, was, I believe, the best hockey decision I ever made. Oh, no kid to be around him. Yeah. Yeah. To play with Gordie. Right. And he's, uh, and actually to play with Mark and Marty too, they are just two of them. Right. So how many years did you play in Houston then? I was there for two years. So I got to play the one year with Gordy, Mark and Marty, and then they signed a contract with Hartford. It might've been the New England Whalers. Yep. Yep. 
And uh, so then I got to play against Gordy too. And I'll tell you what, I'd much rather play with him. Hell <laughs> oh, yeah. Because, um, I got a few elbows and yeah. from him, although he actually went pretty easy on me because if he really wanted to get somebody, yeah, he would use his stick. Oh, I've heard some stories, yeah. Mm-hmm. So two years in Houston, where'd you go after that? Uh, I ended up that Houston folded in the last year of the world hockey in seventh year. And seven of us got purchased by uh, the Winnipeg Jets oh, because yeah. at that time, the New York Rangers kind of hurt the Winnipeg Jets by signing uh, Andrews Hedberg and Alfred right. Nelson. That was John, that was actually the irony was John Ferguson signed them. That's right. Yeah. And got them to come to New York. And then uh, about four months later, Fergie got fired by the Rangers and he became the general manager right. of the Winnipeg Jets. So so when Winnipeg gets absorbed in the NHL, did they protect you, Morris? I was one of the two protected players. There was Scott Campbell. God bless his soul. He just passed away. Oh, I didn't know that. Three, three months ago from can- uh, a brain tumor. And uh, there was Scott and myself and uh, two goaltenders, uh, Marcus Madsen and uh, I believe uh, Gary Suke Smith. But we lost so many players. That was, you know what? The NHL did a very good job of, of building and expand or um, d- giving Vegas their franchise. Yeah. They gave yeah. them a team that could win. Yeah, totally. Same with Seattle. They'd given them a team that can win. And uh, they did not do that with us. Yeah. In the old days, the expansion teams, they really made them bad teams, like intentionally, which you think about it now, that was the wrong wrong way to do it. They're smart to do it the way they did with Vegas and uh, Seattle. Yeah. That was also probably an FU to the WHA owners, though. Like, uh, that's true. Good point. Yeah. It's a pretty no, good point, Tom. That's the first good point you've had. It's been a while. I'm yeah. trying to get one in. Definitely. Good memory and a good, I mean, because that's, yeah, there were four NHL teams that came in. And yet, I believe what showed the talent of the league was that within three years, the Edmonton Oilers had beaten the Montreal Canadiens in playoffs. Yeah. That's right. And within five years, the Edmonton Oilers had won the Stanley right. Cup. So, Morris, so when you get to the NHL now, do you call up Ren Blair and just, or send him a letter? No, because it ended up that we negotiated a little bit with Pittsburgh because well, actually, things. he actually he helped you, right? Because he, you you used him a little bit to get more money from Houston. So, well, it ended up being the same level. Yeah, we went yeah. back and forth, but yeah. So it ended up. I never did speak with Ren Blair again. There was the possibility I could maybe go to Pittsburgh at that time, and yet uh, it ended up I decided to stay in Winnipeg and be the protected player. Right. And how many years did you play in uh, Winnipeg? It ended up I played about. Uh, I believe six and a half years, one year of uh, WHA and five and a half years of the NHL. Cool. What does it feel like when you're named captain of a team? Because I don't think our listeners really know what that's like. How was how that? Like what kind of pressure and how do you feel when you get that honor? Because I think Tom was only an assistant captain. I was captain for a little bit with Barry Beckett. Yeah, for like a minute. Maybe, maybe if you would like follow my career a little bit. Four, four games, five games? What so you get feel? you get named captain. How'd that feel? There was two sides to this because the reason I got named captain was that our captain at the time was Scott Campbell. But what happened is Scott had a, a breathing problem, and uh, Winnipeg had a very sort of dry, very dry atmosphere. His lungs were uh, getting destroyed, and so it ended up that he had to step down from being captain and and uh, heal up for the rest of the season. And so I got named captain in his uh in replacing him so there was a sadness about that and yet there was like a thrill too sure in that moment of being named captain there there's kind of two there's a couple moments there was that moment plus actually stepping on the ice uh, in detroit as an all-star yeah yeah it was there were moments that i just got to sort of sit there and, and think about all that extra 10% 10% that incredible hard work to running the steps sure. uh, in full gear with a weight belt on, uh, all skating the net up and down the ice, all the extra strength training. It was actually learning Taekwondo so that I could defend myself against big wow. guys that like to beat on my head. Well, Morris, I mean, this is a real compliment to you. I mean, it's a compliment to you when I see this. And, uh, you didn't make it based on your talent. You had talent, but you did make it based on your heart, your heart and your will to, and to play. Right. So, uh, yeah, that hard work really paid off for you. Yeah. He was a captain and an all-star time. You made the all-star ballot one year and you were captain for, what is it? A week? No, I was captain for about uh, four months, actually, Tom, if you follow. Wow. Cool. Yeah. Well, Barry Beck got hurt. So actually her Burks was coaches and, uh, he went to Anders Hedberg and said, uh, Barry served Anders, you're going to be captain. And Anders said, no, I don't want it. 
So Herb comes to me, he says, well, nobody else wants to be captain, so you're captain. <laughs> Congratulations. I think he came to you because, you know what, when I played with you in L.A., I saw real leadership. Uh, you're, you're, you're Wayne Gretzky? No, Gretzky no, wasn't you're, there. You're yeah. a man that showed up every day, and, uh, and just a really, it's what professionalism is about. Like, you showed up, you were ready to give it 100% in practice, and then showed up and you're ready to do anything in the game to win. Well, that makes a lot to me. Thank you. Yeah, well, you and I both growing up on the farm, that's who we saw our parents. That's the way they lived their life. So we, I think we learned from them how to do it. So you're there six years total? Yeah. And then uh, it ended up that uh, I somehow got into the bad books with oh. uh, the ownership in Winnipeg. It ended up that uh, even though I'd scored 30 goals the year before, uh, they decided I was not going to be a in their plans. And so I basically, Barry Long was the coach at the time. And I ended up, I sat on the bench for about four months. I would get sporadic ice time, like here or there. Wow. There, it was, it was very, in a way, there were guys that played ahead of me that really, in a way, did not deserve to be ahead of me. Sure. But the thing is, Winnipeg had decided that I was not in their plans. And that, that and then after, after four months, I begged for a trade. Oh, so ownership wanted to get you out of there more. So you're saying, yeah. But I, you know what? I wish they would have just yeah. tra- made a trade right away instead of sitting on the bench for four months. So that was another FU. Well, yeah, it hurt. It hurts them as well, right? Because they're devaluing you, so they're trying to trade you, and not going to get much for you now, right? Yes, and, and if I got traded to Boston for actually a guy that I played junior hockey with, and and who's now the general manager of uh, Dallas Stars, was Jimmy Nill. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. so it ended up that uh, we got traded, and I phoned Jimmy and. Uh, said, Jimmy, you know what? Um, I've got my home here in Cal- or in Winnipeg, and I, I don't know what you have there, but it, instead of us having to find new places to live, why don't we just uh, why don't we cool. just trade home, yep. homes? And he said, you know what? Sounds like a good idea. So he moved into my home. I moved into his apartment. I said, while you're at it, do you want to trade wives? Oh, Jesus. Did he said, no. <laughs> Stick with what I got. For a wife to be named that's, later. That's a nice offer, though. Like, that's a very nice you to do that. Yeah. Very nice. So how long, how long were you in Boston? I forgot about the Boston part of your career. How long were you there? I call it a cup of coffee, but it was an amazing cup of coffee. It was the end of one season, and uh, it was the start of the next season. And it's kind of a couple of cool stories that go with that, Tom. Was when I first got there, I, I was put on a line with Kenny Linsman, and the rest, who I hated. Yeah. Like Kenny, Kenny almost took my teeth out one night in Philadelphia with a cross check. Uh, sounds like what Laidlaw did to you. Well, but no, Tommy's was a baseball swing. But so got to play with Kenny and Rick Middleton. Like, and so and we really lit it up when I first got there. But then sadly, we were playing a game in against the Islanders in New York, and the puck went back in the corner. And there's a few things I regret about what I've done in hockey, both on the ice and off the ice. I went into the corner uh, to get the puck and skated up the boards. And as I went in, I took a look behind me to see who was coming. And I didn't see anybody. And somehow Pat Flatley had got into a blind, my blind spot. And I didn't see him. And I went and turned, expecting to come out of the corner without any pressure. And boom, flat oh. just rocks me. You stuffed it. I, I experienced a high ankle sprain on my right leg. Oh. It felt like my knee was sitting on my ankle. Oh. And it ended up that that, that, that injury, that, that it took six months to eventually heal. And it wasn't good until uh, right before training camp. So it ended up, I did not have a good finish to that year because uh, we would tape up my ankle in, in basically a cast. And uh, my skating, which was my most important asset, was not there. And so it ended up, I, I had a really good start in Boston and a bad finish to that season. Then did they trade you to LA? Is that what happened? No, what happened was the next year, it ends up along the way too. I have a bit of a an argument with... Uh, Harry Sinnott? With Harry Sinnott. Thank you. Yeah. And... Uh, about ice time, and it ended up Harry did not like that. Right. I, I I told him I felt I deserved more ice time, and he said that no, actually you do not. And hmm. I got into his bad books because of that one conversation. So when we come to the training camp the next year, Butch Goring, who I played with, uh, that because he was still a player with Boston, was now head coach oh, yeah. with Mike Milbury, assistant. And as we came to day one of training camp, they did interviews with players. So when I came. What happened was that summer, I kept track of every workout that I did, and I put it in the book that I had. And I worked hard that summer to get ready for that year. And luckily, my high ankle sprain had healed 
And but that summer, like it was even tough for me to run or to play tennis, but it, it finally healed up. But I worked extremely hard uh, with all, all the strength training you did, all the uh, biking, rollerblading, uh, running long distance, sprinting. Uh, so I was in such incredible shape when I came to camp. And in that first meeting, uh, just as we were going to go talk, I, I, I interrupted them. I said, Butch and Mike, I said, I know Harry's got me written out of the plans. Like I, I know he, I know Harry hates me with a passion. And, uh, I said, but you know, like, give me a chance. And I put this book out in front of them of everything I had done. And during the summer, and I remember Mike picked it up. I said, this is all the work I've put in this summer. Every one of my, uh, trainings is locked i said i'm in such good shape my legs better give me an opportunity to make this team and i remember they sat there butch sat there and he thought about it for about a minute and it was a very awkward minute and in the end he said okay he says you're right harry hates you <laughs> <laughs> he's got an honest answer yeah yeah no literally that butch uh, if you know butchie at yeah. all yeah. I mean, Butchie, you know, he cuts the chase rather quick, which makes him a very good coach. Sure. And, uh, and he said, he said, so you better have a really good training camp. Give me something so I can have you on the team. And I said, okay, that's all I want. And it was a very short meeting. And then Mike, um, and then Mike said, are you okay if I keep this for a, a day or two? And actually, so Mike Milbury kept the book that I'd kept all the hockey records in. I don't know why he wanted it, but he kept it and then he gave it back to me a couple of days. Oh, there you go. So, it ended up, I led our team in scoring in the training camp. I had a tremendous training camp. And then there was amazing, just one of the coolest meetings I ever had was with Butch and Mike. And it was just right before the season was to start. And we sat down and Butch looked over. He says, you know what? You've earned it. He said, you've got a spot on the team. Oh, nice. And so the season started. But this is what's what's the shitty piece of this. But So I go to the trainers and like I, I only had about six sticks coming in to uh, camp and I used a specific lie. It was a Mark Howell lie with a lie seven and uh, with a spe specific kind of curve on it that shot the puck low. It was kind of tipped over. I went in and I said, hey, uh, I'm running out of sticks. Uh, where's my sticks? I remember the awkward look on, uh, I forget who the, the equipment manager was. He looked over and says, well, you know what? You haven't got any more sticks. What, Harry, Harry Winland buy yeah, yeah. I was like, what do you mean? And he said, when we put in the stick order, Harry took your name and scratched it off. Huh. That is, that's old school, but that that's the stories I've heard about those guys there in Boston, yeah. Well, so he so, said, so you, you haven't got any sticks. So then what happened was it ended up, I finally ran on my own sticks. They broke. I attempted to use Ray Borks. I attempted to use Matt Taylene's, but none of them were my lie. So after, after about 30 games, I think it was or so, where Charlie Simmer had 17 goals, and having a heck of a year as a left winger, I had two. And it ended up that Bush came to me and was in Toronto. He says, you want Morris? Uh, Harry, you put you on waivers today. Uh, you've been picked up by L.A. Oh, well, I didn't know it was waivers. Okay. And then, so you played, what, did, like a year and a half there in, in L.A., right? Right. Uh, yes, they did. And by the way, uh, in my experience in the NHL, one of the worst feelings that I had was actually being put on waivers. Yeah. Right. Because it is a team that's saying, hey, Somebody please uh, take this bag of garbage off our hands. And so when I got to LA, one of the coolest moments I had there was, and it was actually the last goal I ever scored in the NHL. It was uh, December, I believe, 30th of 1986. And we were playing the Boston Bruins. Oh. And it was 1-1. We went into overtime. And Ray Bork was bringing the puck up the ice. And he lost it. And it went to Jimmy Carson. Oh. And I, I kind of was doing a Wayne Gretzky. I was coming back late up the ice. And then I remember I thought to myself, wow, I'm gone. All I got to get is the puck. And there was Jimmy. Jimmy was one of the best passers. And I was thinking, do I yell to him or do I wait? And there was a moment and I was thinking, because if I yell, somebody might come for me. And then all of a sudden, Jimmy looked up and he saw me. And he just put this perfect pass on my backhand. And you know what, Tommy, it was kind of a cool thing. I went in and scored the overtime winner on Billy Ranford. Huh? But time slowed down during this goal. I don't know if you've ever experienced it, but it took about no. five minutes for <laughs> yeah. the goal to happen. It was like almost an oh, yeah. out of experience. Right. And what was cool about it was that Billy, I'd played with in Boston, and right. he's a tremendous goaltender, and yet every goalie's got a weakness. And with Billy, if you went in and you made a little fake and went sideways, 
he would open up his five hole and you could drive a oh. semi trailer through there. Oh, okay. So I gave a little fake went sideways and just threw a perfect little one through there that just got through his legs. What was kind of cool about it is that the LA photographer got a sequence of photo that he then put in uh, framed in a in a picture and he gave it to me as a gift oh. that showed that whole sequence. And uh, actually, uh, where Billy and Billy's fallen over and, and my body's actually got the Bruin jersey blacked out. The puck is rolling out of uh, the net on its side. A dad had picked his daughter up in the crowd and thrown her up in the air, and she is still in the air. <laughs> That's right. And I'm turning sideways, and I have this explosive look on my face, and neither, neither one of my skates are on the ice. Oh. And I remember this L.A. photographer, he said, this, he said, you know what, this is one of the best pictures oh. I've ever taken right. in my entire career. Nice gift to wrap up your career, you know? Yeah. And it ended up being the last goal I ever scored. Right. So it ends up, uh, your career ends in L.A. What did you do right after you got done playing? You know what happened was, uh, that was the Olympic year, 1988. And actually, my brother, Ed Lukowicz, he represented Canada in curling oh. in the 1988 Olympics in Calgary. It was a demonstration sport at that time. My agent was actually an agent from New York. Uh, I won't mention his name. He had started to move into representing baseball players and actors. So it ended up that he didn't really do much for him. And, uh, Typical agent. Yeah, I kind of had the same experience with coming yeah. into uh, pro. And then, so then I got on the phone. My contract was done with L.A. I had a very weird meeting with uh, Rogi Vashon. I got on the phone and I call, called Dave King because I thought if I could have a really good Olympics that somebody might see me and then uh, get me back into the NHL because the Olympics are in February, so I could maybe sign a contract. And you know what, Tom? I made a mistake that I didn't get on the phone and give Pat Quinn a call in Vancouver because sure. Pat really liked me and I think Pat would have given me a chance. But anyways, I got on the phone gave gave Dave King a call and Dave said, uh, sure, he would give me a, a tryout. And so the tryout started August 1st. It ended up that we uh, packed up all our stuff into a, uh, a rider truck, a yellow rider truck. And uh, we were living in Redondo Beach in L.A., which was so incredibly beautiful, yes. right by the pier. And uh, we, uh, I remember we cried, my wife and I, and uh, we got in and started driving that rider truck all the way back to Calgary, wow. which was a mistake. It would have been good just to sold everything yeah, and uh, start over. But anyway, so I, I relocated to Calgary to try out for the Olympic team. It ended up that uh, I led the team in scoring in training camp. It was very cool. We actually played the Swedes back-to-back -back games in uh, Calgary and then Medicine Hat. And in Calgary, uh, Dave had come and approached me, and he said something that he says, you know what, you're doing a pretty good job. He said, uh, but we'd like to see more production from you. And I said, well, if you want to see that, then put me on a line with Mark Habscheid and Wallace Schreiber. Mark Habscheid, who played with Detroit, was a guy he could hang on in the pocket and they could get it. And I said, you put us together. I said, we'll be magical for you. And so he did. And in that game, we managed to beat the uh, Swedish national team five to four. And our line scored all five goals. Nice. Yeah. And so, and then he plays again in the medicine hat uh, the next night. Uh, and it ended up that incredibly, Tom, where the whole thing had gone, went full circle because 10 seconds left on the clock. We're losing five to three and the puck gets shot down by the Swedes down the ice. Our defenseman decides not to go after it. I go flying down the ice and I touched it and there, I look up and there's four seconds left on the clock. And then, and I haven't got a point this game. Like I've, I've, I haven't played a good game and that ends up that, so I skate down the other side of the ice away from Dave King. So he won't take me off the ice. And we go down there, and I said to Mark Habscheid, I said, Habby, win this draw, because if you win it, we can still get one. And I remember Habby looked at me and said, well, but we're losing five to three. What difference does it make? And I said, Habby, just win the F and draw. Mm -hmm. And he went, oh, okay. And you know what? There's a couple of guys who were great face-off men. Phil Esposito was one. Mark Habscheid was another. Oh, cool. He had this great big blade. Mark won it right back on my stick, and I shot it. And with a second left, I'm scored to make it that we, where we lost five, four. But so here where it had started for me in junior, sure. This and that on the last second, the last game I ever played in North America. Oh, I managed to score a goal. So you didn't make the Olympic team then? I didn't because oh. what happened was then we got back to uh, Calgary after that. And Dave came and he said, you know what? You've had a heck of a camp. 
And uh, he says, you deserve a spot on the team. He said, but I've got to let you know something. He said, a week before uh, the Olympics, we're expecting to get five of the really good hockey players. We're expecting to get Gretzky, Messier, oh. uh, Kevin Lowe, uh, uh, Paul Coffey, and uh, Glenn Anderson. They were all going to come from the Oilers. And he said, if we get those guys, you're, you'll be dropped from the lineup. Well, what are you talking about? Like I'm leading our team in scoring right now. Why would you drop one of those other guys that that are that's an Ameri- They're all American Hockey League players. True. And he said, "Well, those guys I've made a commitment to, and so I'm not gonna. I, I won't. You would be the guy who will, will get dropped." And so and I said, "Well, this doesn't make sense, Dave. Like it sounds to me like you're really not interested in winning." Uh, he did not like that comment. Yeah, I can see that. And uh, it ended up that I. He said, well, think about it overnight and then come back and let me know. And so I came back the next day and and I said, well, I really, like, I'm making a, a big commitment to this team. Like, uh, I'm looking for the commitment back from you. And he says, well, I'm not able to do that. He says, we get those five players, you'll be dropped. And I said, well, that's, then I won't play under that. And uh, so it ended up that I went from there. But the good thing was Dave actually found me a job to uh, playing with Wayne Flemmie. Wayne Fleming, who was uh, head coach uh, of the uh, University of Manitoba, Biden. And ended up Wayne was over there coaching. And so I went and played for Wayne in Italy and uh, had a really good season and a fun season there and ended up starting a European career where I played over there for five out of six years. Oh, we're cool. Well, listen, Morris, it's been great to have you on the show. You're a really interesting story. And uh, I was always impressed by you, you, your work ethic and your heart and all that. And you explained all, all that in your upbringing with your family and everything. So it was great to have you on the show. You're a great man. You told me, thank you. And by the way, I enjoyed watching you on Survivor. Oh, good. Yeah, good. He was eliminated very early, though. <laughs> Didn't have to watch too long. <laughs> good to see you, brother. Thanks, Morris. Good okay, to see you. God bless both of you. Tom, that was uh, really cool to hear. And someone who you scarred for life he said every time he shaves he thinks about you because you cut him open with a baseball oh uh, morris lukowitz he's a character he's got quite a personality too uh it's interesting how the details he has about his life and his career and his upbringing yeah, yeah. He's a good man yeah. pretty cool for a little guy five nine yeah. you know he said he was a bit of a bastard to play against. oh big bastard big time bastard to play against he was that guy that that small guy that you just couldn't win against right because he's smaller than you so you think well that could beat him up but then if you try something he could beat you up yeah because he picked all those potatoes yeah on the pick, yeah good show all right thanks All right, grasshoppers, thank you for listening. We had a fantastic show. We'll see you next time.